Yeah, let's start with it in the beginning. Uh, Gregor, how are you? Uh, fairly good, really. I mean, considering uh, everything, same as everyone else, probably. We're all in the same boat, you know, so... Uh, it's, it's actually not too much different for me being at home because I'm fairly antisocial anyway, so it's, uh, it's <laughs> so kind of like okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I moved, I moved 20 years ago to a very small uh, village on the east coast, northeast coast of England, and right. the reason being because I'm usually on the road. So when I come home, I kind of like nothingness. Mm. Um, but this is the longest time I've ever been off well, touring for, for since I was 18, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask because now all of a sudden that touring isn't an option anymore. So, so has this been kind of the longest stretch of time that you've been in one place or at home? Yeah, I mean, I lo I looked at um, how long I've, is the longest that I've had off in since I was eighteen, and it's it's roughly about four weeks. Um, <laughs> so this is okay. three times the length of anything any time I've had off so far. Oh, wow. um, and I, I, I didn't think I'd miss some of it. You know, I thought, I thought I'm not going to miss the travel. I'm not going to miss the queuing in airports. I'm not going to miss various other bits. Um, I know I'll miss the gigs, but you know, um, but I actually miss all of it. I think you don't realize till certain freedoms are taken away that even just something stupid like queuing in an airport is actually. <laughs> <laughs> Something well, to miss, you know? Yeah, I, I always say in this time, I, I think Joni Mitchell was right that you don't know what you have until it's gone. So <laughs> exactly. it's, it's kind of that that, that strange um, thing. But what, what you mentioned is interesting then, because when you started all the, all that time ago, um, you had this certain passion and an idea of, of what uh, music and a career in music would be, uh, I'm sure. And then now 30 years plus onwards. Um, you still have that same passion. So, uh, what do you attribute that to? Um, I have the same passion now that I had when I when we first started out. Um, but it's gone up and down over the years. Okay, I have to say that because you know it's um, you know we, we I, well we lost our way. I lost my way um, sometime around uh, the millennium. You know the okay. early two thousands where right. it felt a little bit rudderless, a little bit like. The focus had gone. I didn't know what, where to go, what to do, right. whether whether I even wanted to do it anymore. And I think, I mean, in retrospect, looking back, I mean, a lot of it was my fault. But um, there were other factors like um, mm. family matters. Uh, we were on big labels like BMG and EMI, um, which, you know, served their purpose for, for the time, but were kind of make you cynical about mm. what you do and. You know, you, you it real makes you realize how far you moved away from the scene that you started in. Right. Um, you know, dealing with suits instead of people that <laughs> are part of the in, uh, you know, part of the scene, I guess. Right. Uh, so, 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 yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a totally smooth ride, but um, over the I don't know, probably for the last, I guess since two thousand ten, so it's for the mm. last decade, um, I've been on full steam again because I, I just, and the reason I got I, I think I got around to that again is because um I just became excited about it again mm. I think I think I think you've got to treat it as a learning curve and not like you know everything right and um it's like a thirst for knowledge you know but it's but musical knowledge you know so I'm um I'm kind of addicted to band camp <laughs> okay. and, and um, finding new things through recommendations and I think it keeps you inspired Hearing new new musicians and people pushing boundaries and doing different things and 
makes you want to do the same, you know. Mm. And then, like you said, there's always something new to learn. You you can learn from anybody. So that's that's a very healthy, I, I suppose, a way to approach this whole music thing. But if you if you go back then, because for especially for somebody like me who hasn't uh, experienced kind of when you uh, grew up in music and and kind of those goth clubs and and you recently lamented that those don't really exist anymore. So if, can you kind of very quickly paint a picture of what what that was like and 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 why that perhaps isn't there anymore um yeah i mean the picture of it was i mean the, the one i can only speak from personal experience but mm. um there used to be a, a, a metal goth rock punk type place you know sub-genre type place on every street corner in in every town right. in the in the uk when i was growing up um and we used to frequent a, a nightclub thing from the age of about 15 called Adam and Eve's in Leeds, mm. which was that kind of thing. You'd get It was like a, I don't know, an, an octagonal type room and you had like a, a punk corner where all the punks hung out, <laughs> a goth corner, a, a, right. a metal corner. And no one mixed with each other because it wasn't allowed in them days. Um, <laughs> but you were exposed to all this music, you know, a goth song would come on, all the goths would run to the dance floor. Mm. And me being a punk at the time would pretend to hate it because I'd probably get a slap from one of the older <laughs> punks if I admit to liking it. And, um, yeah, it was just like that. So you're exposed to a lot of stuff. And I just miss, I don't know, I just miss the um, the way that it was so separate from mainstream culture. Mm. Um, and you felt like it was your own thing even though you were part of a tribe yourself, I guess. But it did feel like you were part of this this secret society almost. Right. But they were on every on every street corner, you know. And um, and as we found out when we started tape trading, that it wasn't just the UK. It was, you know, it was most small towns and cities across Europe or or, or even the coast of America and stuff. So, um, and yeah, I, I completely miss that because it was how I got into music it's how i got into the scene it's how i got into playing in a band it's how our band started playing venues you know through word of mouth and through these types of places um and they just don't exist in the uk at all anymore you know okay and is it like perhaps this is uh, i'm stretching here but is it one of those things as well where you mentioned in the 2000s kind of the business side of uh, uh of the music industry started to 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 have its impact on you. So is is it? Do you see it as part of that as well? Where where kind of over the years, uh, businessmen have figured out how to make money out of, out of music, and so that that kind of that that's more emotional culture or more more uh, tight knit culture is is no longer there. Um, yeah, it could be. It could be. I, I mean, I don't have really any answers. I can only surmise. But I mean, that could be one factor. Um, mm. Another thing is, I, I don't ever recall there being so much emphasis on chart positions and sales. Um, I'm sure there was, but I never saw it in the subgenres. Uh, as today, you know, everyone, it's all they talk about, you know. Um, and I guess if you've got, if, if someone who owns a club or a pub, um, has these figures to hand and these lists, then mm. they're going to see something like rap and R and B are the biggest selling things. So that's what they're going to make their club, I suppose. Um, I don't know. That's that's just a guess. I can, yeah, I can, fair I, um, but but I mean, pub culture anyway is dying out pretty fast. Um, <laughs> it, even before the pandemic, it was dying out pretty fast in the UK just because of the way that I don't know. That's gone. It's just the world, you know. Uh, yeah. 
But, okay. but yeah, I, I miss it. I miss it like hell. Um, but you know, there's nothing you can do about it. I guess it's like my parents missing the teddy boy culture or something <laughs> like that. You know? Right. Oh, fair enough. All right. So, so moving on to the, to the record then, because um, in the last couple of years you did Falling Fire and then uh, Street Joy, Joy, Strigoi. Um, uh, sorry, yeah. Strigoi. <laughs> um, so, having done those two uh, projects, what was your approach now heading into uh, a new Paradise Lost album then? Um, it was kind of a breath of fresh air. I mean, I finished writing um, the Strigoi album like the day before I started writing the Paradise Lost album. Okay. So it was a day switch, you know, and and yeah, it was it was nice because a change is as good as a rest, you know. I mean, now that I've finished the Paradise Lost album, I'm thinking about doing some more extreme stuff again. So it's mm. just it's just changing it up, really. Um, I think why I started to do Strigoi after Val I finished Valenfire is because, two, well, it's twofold. One thing was I reconnected with a lot of that underground scene um, mm. while I was doing Valenfire and that I didn't even know still existed to the degree it does um, mm. and just fell back in love with it again. Um, you know, the honesty of it and the, and, and the fact that it's just people helping each other out for no mm other benefit than they love the music and stuff like that so it, which is kind of refreshing and mm. and another thing is um um that that it was it's, it's kind of just just something from that, that's different to paradise lost and it, it right. kind of it kind of helps me focus on on paradise lost more when i come to write paradise lost stuff little bits of other stuff don't leak in that shouldn't right i'm not, I'm not saying there shouldn't there should be boundaries there shouldn't be boundaries but you know, I don't think Parasol should necessarily have dissonant aggression in it and stuff like that. It's not the mm -hmm. kind that kind of band. It's more about the melancholy and bittersweetness and all that. And you know, um, so so yeah, it does help me see more clearly what the um, core of Paradise Lost sound should be. Maybe right. And you say you pretty much started on the same day. So so did a song come out of that, or what was one of the first songs that that started to flesh out for you uh, well the first song that we started writing was um the first song that anybody heard which was it's called fall from grace okay. um and i think it's pretty self-evident really because if you hear the previous album medusa that song fall from grace is kind of a stepping stone between obsidian mm. and medusa it's somewhere in the middle there and i think it's because when you start to write the first song you're kind of still going off what you've just finished doing you know the mm. medusa album um, and then trying to find your way. And, um, yeah, so we started with that song and then sort of began to diversify from there, really, because we knew we wanted to do a more varied album, but but we didn't know how, in what way we were going to do that. So it was kind of just suck it and see, you know, take it a song at a time and see what path we wanted to go down. Yeah, exactly. Is it then uh, a question of trial and error and just, just trying things out and seeing where where your mood or your, your mind takes you? Absolutely, because I mean, albums are snapshots, and each song's a snapshot. You know, I mean, you, you, your mood can vary, your, your your opinions can vary slightly day to day, hour to hour, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, if you sit down to write a song or a melody, it can uh, it can it can change within a matter of days. So, so I, te I tend not to. I mean, I've always been a fairly impulsive person, uh, mm. whether you know, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. But, um, I think that's the point. You don't you don't think about uh you know you don't try and preempt anything or right 
prejudge anything. You just do it on the spur of the moment, and um, yeah, it'll either work or it won't. And well, let's take an example in in one of the songs then, because uh, Raven Gas, for for instance, you know, it's been described as as being about this this battle and this the kind of the futility of war and and then battle in a sense. Um, does the music kind of influence that that image that is created around the song, or is it the other way around, or do the is it kind of like a, a reciprocal thing? No, with with um, Paradise Lost, it's definitely the lyrics start to come to life as the song is being okay. fleshed out. Okay. And then they're finished off and, and given purpose when the song's finished. So it's um so a case in point, yeah, Ravengast, um, as we were writing it, it was like, okay, well what does this what does this music bring to mind? What pictures mm. does it paint in your mind? And Nick said, well it brings to mind kind of uh, you know, foggy battlefields and things like that. And you know, like maybe um you know, bombed out buildings or or, or just or, or or ruins or something like that. Mm. And I said, yeah, that, that's cool. That's cool. You know, and um, we kind of just worked on that premise. Um, but as a, as a whole, the album is. I mean, Ravengast is a slightly different song to the rest of the album in that mm. sense because it was the last song that we wrote for the album, and I did it because I thought the only thing the album was missing was a little bit of bombast. You know. Mm. Um, Little bit of pomp and ceremony, and, um, and and so that one came together because of that. Um, but but the album previous Medusa, because it was a much more aggressive album, the lyrics followed suit. Those lyrics are much uh, more nihilistic. Um, and on this record, as it was shaping up, we realised that it was going to be much more um, kind of a grown up record. You know, a mm. bit more um, um, looking inwards. You know, a little bit introspective. So the lyrics kind of reflect that. You know, it's about someone looking back on their life and you know. Figuring things out. In 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 that vein, I think you I saw some a clip of you saying it's dark, melancholic, but thoughtful, and it kind of reflects the time that that we're in now. So so have you been reflecting uh, in this period of time, not not only on the music that you've made and this this record, but kind of on on your life as well? Um, I think when you when you're given more time to think, it, it's it's inherent in humans to do that to overthink. Um, so yeah, a little bit, but I try not to, I mean, it's, it's easier for me because when I spend, when, when I'm on the road, um, I spend most of my time waiting around. I mean, mm -hmm. it's either on a tour bus or on a flight or in a van or in a venue and you're waiting for that one and a half hours on stage or whatever. Um, so you do have a lot of time to think and a lot of time to mull things over. I, I generally try to fill my time with creative pursuits, okay. which, Sometimes it does happen the way I want it to, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, sometimes you just end up in your pajamas watching Netflix. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's when you're given more time on your hands, I guess everyone starts to reflect on certain things or think about things. But I, I you know, I don't believe in regret. It's absolutely it's mm. a waste, waste of emotion. I mean, hindsight's fun to to some degree. I mean, it's like we we just had a book released, the biography of Paradise Lost, mm. which is. It's out in a few European countries this month, I think, um, okay. the, trans the translations, but came out in America in November. And reading that, it's kind of, it's weird because, I, I, you know, it brought home to me that I was too serious in my 20s, you know. Um, right. And I was possibly a, a dick to certain people that I didn't mean to be. And, mm. you know, certain situations that you just didn't think about the other person's point of view. Um 
I mean, it's all hindsight. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, it's uh, it's just it's just one of those things. But um, yeah, it does. It, I mean, having that time to reflect on stuff does give you a bit more time to um, overanalyze, I guess. Right, and uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. That, uh, I mean, it's it's somewhat of a cliche, but you you'll only regret the things that you that you didn't do instead of the things that you did do. So, at least that's what I believe. Um, when when it comes to the songs, then because I can imagine that when you when you write and then especially those earlier ideas and riffs that the kind of the the, the framework of, of what the song will be, do you then later kind of kind of feel what what mindset or mentality you were in when you wrote it? Because like say sometimes it's melancholic or dark, or sometimes it's uh, can you can you link those to to certain personal feelings you've had uh, as you were writing those? Um. It's it's actually not really like that, you know. You, I mean, I mean, I guess people maybe think if you're writing a melancholy song, you have to be in a certain melancholic mood or whatever. But but it's not true. It's you're painting pictures. Mm. You know, it's it's like it's like it's like anyway. It's like an artist painting a picture. If they're mm. painting a a landscape, they don't have to be particularly inspired by a certain thing. It's just what it is. I mean, I'm just trying to convey certain. Um, emotions and mm. uh, and and moods um and listening back to them it can co convey those those but it's it, not necessarily you know if you're really depressed the last thing you want to do is sit in the studio writing a song yeah. you right. probably stay in bed all day you know what i mean so um so not 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 in that sense no but um but it does make me think of where my head was at when i was writing it for instance like you said you were talking about the gothic Mm. seen in the 80s and why that leaked into the some of the songs and that yeah i can listen to a song like ghost now and think oh that kind of even though it was done this year it kind of makes me conjures up images of me in a club when i was 18 you know so right i can, I can hear the sky call so, so a very quick last question then when did the title obsidian pop into kind of the the ether um well we came up with that before we came up with the artwork and stuff. We, we, I think Nick suggested it, and we knew it was a volcanic rock, but we didn't really have any more thought than that. We thought, oh, yeah, it's a nice word. It's a nice, elegant word. You know, it, it, it rolls off the tongue quite nicely. It suits the band. But then um, we did a bit of research so that we could, like, come up with some concept for artwork. Um, mm. And Nick found out that it was used a lot in various folklore imagery and... Um, you know, like iconography as talismans or, you know, things to ward off spirits, etc. And we just thought that'd be a nice way to approach the artwork, which is why that looks how it does. And then I found a, an interesting thing that tied it to the music as well, which was that it um, there was a certain people that believed a, a thing called, in a thing called the Obsidian Mirror, mm. which was if you had a mirror made out of obsidian and you looked into it, you could see the past, future and present all at once. Um, and I just thought that was kind of nice because people were saying, you know, people at Nuclear Blast were saying that the record was kind of a musical biography of Paradise Lost. And I just thought I just thought it tied in nicely. And we do like those little threads. I mean, I know they don't mean a lot to a lot of people, but mm. we've always been one for trying to tie the whole thing together, not as a concept album or anything, but, you know, like having little themes that run through lyrics, through the music and through the right. art. Well, one last thought then, because you yeah. um, uh, you mentioned that Nuclear Bass had was kind of a, kind of 
a mixture of, of your entire career. And I, I read a couple of reviews online who said a similar thing. Do, do you feel like the Obsidian is kind of like a, a, a not an overview, but it, it kind of encapsulates what you have done over the last couple of decades? Well, the, f the first I heard it was a guy at Nuclear Blast said it. Mm. Um, we hadn't thought of it ourselves. A, a guy at Nuclear Blast said it, and then I did a couple of interviews, and people were just saying it and repeating it. Right. So it must be right. It must be true. Um, so, yeah, I kind of listened back. I've had, a, I've had three months now or so to um, reflect on it, and um, I can see it. I can see that it's uh, – I can hear elements of almost every era to some degree. Mm. Um, but, no, it just it wasn't intentional at all. But, um It was just us taking it a song at a time and having an idea for the album. And then uh, I guess the, the rest of it is just down to with the same band who made all those different records, you know, so, and it just all bled together. I mean, I'm I'm happy for, for it to be that, but uh, but sure. I've got to be honest. It, it really it wasn't intentional. An intention, right? no, no. Right. All right. Gregor, thank you very much for taking the time. You're welcome, Robin. No problem. I hope you have a lovely day and... and uh... Good luck with the other interviews. Okay, you too. <laughs> All okay. right, cheers. Bye-bye.